37 to 39. Please follow along on your phones or on the screen above. Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Hello, hello, New Mercy, 1 p.m. Uh, hello. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Christine. I usually lead praise. But Johnny, you do so well. Maybe I should just not anymore. Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, um, I usually am leading praise up here. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to be in here like doing this now. And I'm kicking off our relationship series today. So if you can show that banner. Uh, it's, we're starting off a new relationship series called Relationally Challenged. And I'm excited for this. Can I see some anticipation in this room? Woo! I'm excited for what God wants to tell you and me through this series. I believe seeds have been planted this year um, in each and every one of us when we first started this theme of restoration in our relationships. For those of you who don't know, we started off the year in January um, with a theme called restoration in our relationships. And the year is getting closer to the end. Uh, we believe that we, he, that God wants all our relationships to go deeper, deeper uh, being rooted in biblical truth in gospel love and in kingdom perspective and living. Hence why we are, all, we are starting this series of relationship principles. So before I jump in, let me pray for us really quickly. Father, we come before you, and will you make it clear to us today, through your message, through your word, what your heart is, and who you are, and who we are, you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You know, God is for our relationships. And I believe this is healing for someone today. If you have certain relationships uh, with parents, with sisters, brothers, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, with your kids, friends, um, coworkers, employers, etc., that don't seem to be going very well or the way you planned. Like, for example, um, when the other person keeps doing the same thing over and over again, and you feel like your relationship with this person is um, stagnant or stuck, or you feel like you and your wife or husband, if you're married, um, you feel like you're in different places of your faith, and it's hindering your relationship to move forward. Or if you're close to just, like, giving up on someone. God wants you to know that he is for that relationship and he wants it to flourish. This is healing for someone today because this is the Father's heart. God cares about our relationships more than we care about them. I believe his highest priority is our relationships. It's, if anything lasts forever, I think it's our relationship with him and our relationship with others. And our relationship with him, with others, is so important that Jesus said, sorry, sorry, um, sorry, anyway, 
Our relationship with others is so important that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 to 24, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. That's like God saying, before you come to worship me at church or at service or at home or whatever, before you come to do that, go reconcile with this person first. I mean, church is still important, so still come. But um, that's how important relationships are to him. That's his heart for reconciliation and for restoration in our relationships. Now, the problem is people are just so hard. Can I get an amen if you agree? Oh, or y'all need healing or something. Just kidding. Anyway, people are hard. People are hard because there are two things that we have absolutely no control over. Absolutely no control, 100%. It's God and it's people. Everyone has their own story. Everyone has their own way of doing things. You can, you can think you know someone so well, but you just, you just don't, kind of. You keep learning to know, but you just don't. Everyone, because everyone has their own thoughts and beliefs, and no, peop, no two people are the same. Relationships aren't hard. It's working with people, the people in it, that's hard. That's why it's so much easier to hang out with people who are like us, who are agreeable, who like us first, who think like us, who like the same things as us, people who are chill and don't take things so personally. Life is just easier with those kind of people, right? Rarely, rarely do we intentionally befriend people who are different, who have different ways of doing things or different beliefs will speak up and disagree um, with us. What we actually end up doing is we leave it up to other people to be their friend, and we judge them, and we even gossip about them. I mean, good thing the church isn't like that, right? I find that the one relationship that we actually do find ourselves more willing um, than other relationships, to put up with the differences. And the natural pain that comes when two different people come together is the one with our significant others, or we have, like, romantic feelings for. Of course, assuming that there's been constant work put into it, pain has been processed, you're forgiving each other, blessing each other uh, in the name of Jesus, moving on, and you're moving forward. For, any, for everyone who has been in an intimate relationship or who are still in an intimate relationship, or will be an intimate relationship, there has been a point in time where you are willing to put in the work. You are willing to, to change, and you wanted to do what is best for this specific relationship. And you know, this is why I think romantic love and marriage is such a gift to us. Not only are we meant to, I mean, not only are we meant to enjoy life through these relationships, but they bring out the real us, the broken us, the sinful us, if we let it. And we get to see how loved we still are in these relationships. These relationships show us the love of Christ. And we also grow to be more like Jesus in the way we love our broken partners and the way our broken partners love us. I think 
that this kind of love, it's intended to be this way. It's intended to be a gift. We grow to be more like Jesus, uh, which really is our number one purpose in this journey called life, is to be more like Jesus. That really is our only purpose. (laughs) But what if I tell you today that this kind of work and love isn't just meant for our romantic relationships. This kind of love is to be the same all across the board to all of our neighbors. I mean, yeah, the intimacy with our significant other or spouse or whoever you have that kind of feelings for is different and special on its own. But the core, the core love Christ calls us to in our scripture today to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves looks the same all across the board. The core love. God uses everyone around us um, to show us his love. And when it's everyone, you have so much more opportunities to be like Christ in loving them anyway. That's so much better. For example, like when a person triggers you, meaning when a person elicits an emotion you don't really want to feel, like fear, pain, sadness, anger, etc. Don't go straight to saying, oh my God, they're so annoying. Don't go straight to your friends to gossip about them. Because when a person triggers you, that's God giving you an opportunity to mature and grow, to heal and to redeem what's actually behind that trigger. He's simply just using that person to highlight something in you because he wants access to it and he wants to heal it because he's for our relationships and he's for love. But us people, though, we're really quick to see people as our enemies. We are meant to go through life and grow with everyone, not with just one person or with our families or whoever you love, with everyone. We will all rub each other the wrong way because we're so different, but we are all still to love like Christ. I believe that's what what will build true community. And I think we need to know how to steward our relationships with our neighbors better. Um, And when we talk about stewardship, like last week we had Pastor Paul come and talk about financial stewardship Stewardship does, just doesn't mean about our money. We need to learn how to steward whatever is given to us, our relationships, better. We're not called to manage our relationships. We're called to love well. A love that sacrifices for our neighbors. A love that understands our neighbors. That waits for our neighbors. A love that says, hey, you don't have to worry about my side of this relationship. A love that is sacrificial, it doesn't benefit us, but we will love our best till the very end, even if it's at our expense. This is agape love, which is the Greek word for the highest form of love, a godly, unconditional love. But we won't know what agape really looks like if we don't know the one that actually agapes us in this way, who is our God and our Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and, and, and our Lord in heaven. 
With that, our first and most important principle in relationships is to agape God. The Greek word used in our passage that we read today in Matthew 22, the word for love is actually agape, to agape God and to agape our neighbors as ourselves. And to agape God or to agape anyone, we need to know them. We need to know God. We need to know these people. And in Hebrew, the word, the word that means to know, which is yada, doesn't mean to know with our head. In Genesis, the Bible says Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. So if you, if you kind of connected it, to know and to have sex is basically the same thing. Okay, I thought I'd get a response, but okay. Um, here to know and to love in an intimate way is the same thing. To know and to love goes hand in hand. To agape God, we need to know God in this way, intimately. We need to know his nature and how much he agapes us. I, I know you hear this a lot. But if you forgot who you are today, let me remind you, you are a child of God. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. To help you understand a little better, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He had to learn and grow, too, in the love of the Father, in the love of others. And after years of growing into his call so he can sustain his call, Jesus gets baptized and commissioned, um, meaning he was sent out to do God's work after 30 years. And this was his commission. The heavens opened up, and there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my son, whom I love, and I am well pleased. His commission wasn't go on missions, or go to this school, or go to job or do this or do that his commission from his father was identity you are my son whom I love and I am well pleased and then everything else fell and lined up according to this affirmation of his identity Jesus was able to then full walk, full walk in um, full authority to teach preach, heal the sick, um, cast out demons to set the people free, and more. And it had to start and was rooted with the fact that his father loved him unconditionally. He knew his father. If this wasn't set, I mean, this might sound a little heretical, um, but for the sake of this example, if if this wasn't set, if the this didn't sit right with him well, I think maybe Jesus wouldn't have taken the cross. Sorry, that's not, he wouldn't have taken the cross. He would have questioned the Father's love, and maybe he would have said, if you loved me, if you're my Father, then you wouldn't call me to this cross. But Jesus knew the heart of the Father And knew his father loved him, even if that call was something Jesus didn't really want. Before he was crucified, he asked the father, will you take this cup from me? He didn't want the cross. 
Because the cross was a hard call. Although he questioned the father if he can take it away from him, the one thing he didn't question was if the father loved him or not. And because Jesus was walking in full affirmation and commission from the father on the day he was baptized, he took that place on the cross knowing fully who he was and how loved, how agape he is. Even if it hurt bad, even if it was hard. But he didn't let the hurt and the hard determine who he was and who God is. I feel like God wants to commission some of us here today or commission us here in general. And you've been waiting for him to tell you direction, where to go, who to love, what to do, what's next. But maybe, just maybe, what you're actually waiting for is this full affirmation from the Father. And if I'm speaking to you right now, even if it's just one person, this whole sermon is for you. You are a son or daughter of God whom he loves and he is well pleased. Now, as we continue to pursue the agape, to know God and to love God, and it will be a lifelong thing because there will always be more to God. We start to change in the way we look at ourselves too when we do this because the way God looks at us trumps all the thoughts we have about ourselves. And you actually kind of stop being so mean to yourself, too. For example, for me and probably for a lot of us here, um, I want to do well in everything, which is not a bad thing. But I have this perfectionist in me that wants to do everything well. Until, you know, it's not bad until I let it shame me. Shame me. I don't know why I said it like that. Until I let it shame me. You know, uh, for example, yesterday, I officiated my first wedding. Woo! Moving up. I officiated my first wedding. And like every perfectionist, there is no room to say it's my first time. It just needs to be good from the start. And I have to tell you, the days leading up to it, um, the perfectionist in me started to worry because I felt like I wasn't going to do well. And I caught myself thinking I should have put in more work. I should have worked on it more. I should have made more time. A lot of I shoulds, which is a great indicator, by the way, that the perfectionist in you is talking. Usually, I would stay in this place, and it's hard for me to move on from this place. Um, So I tell people, nah, it's not going to be that good. Or I'm going to make up excuses and talk about how many other things I had to do that week so I can feel a little bit forgiven and feel a little bit better about myself. But in the end, when we do that, we actually just diminish the work that we actually did put into it. So I could have chosen to let all of that overtake me, or I could have chose to be in the presence of God and be in the present and let myself just feel it. And I chose to do that. I chose to let myself feel it. I evaluated what I was feeling and what I was telling myself in my head. And I was able to just sit there with it and invite God and invite what he thought about the situation. And at that time of turmoil, I just felt a lot of compassion for me. I sat in the compassion, and I knew that no one was expecting me to be perfect. Um, 
and the wedding isn't about me. And third, like, I don't have that much power to ruin a wedding if I did mess up. And lastly, no one was expecting me to be perfect, literally. I felt at peace, and I stopped beating myself up, and the wedding went great. And I think it's okay to, I mean, we all beat, up, we beat ourselves up all the time. But I think it depends on which presence you're going to beat yourself up in. Are you going to beat yourself up, like, by yourself and in fear and in shame? Or are you going to beat yourself up in the presence of God? I think that's the difference. And I think that's where God shows you this kind of compassion. And what that peace told me was, after I stopped beating myself up, was that I'm accepted. And even if I do mess up, it doesn't define me. I may mess up, but I am not a hopeless mess. What defines me is what God says about me, that I'm deeply loved. And what defines me is who God is. I have a father who is not far from me and is for me. And this is just one example. Imagine feeling accepted and forgiven and loved in all levels of brokenness and in all levels of sin. Um, And when God meets you with love, how powerful that love would be if we just let ourselves just be in it. And when we love God, we will come to love ourselves because of how much God loves us, and we will actually start to value ourselves. Do you know how we know when we have started to value ourselves? When our value doesn't lie on whether someone loves us or not, and we still love on them anyway. You're able to push past fear of rejection. You're able to push past the fear of not being loved or fear of being hurt, and you still love that person anyway, even if they do reject you and they do hurt you. Because when we love God, we find our value on what Jesus did on the cross and how the Father sees us because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're able to value ourselves, and we start to see a value of others too. This is our second principle, to agape our neighbors as ourselves. Are we on the same page here? There's a group of people here who need to love people outside of their family and loved ones. And there's a group of people here who need to love their loved ones and their families more than the people outside. I guess that's all of us. (laughs) And we will love the people and see their value when it goes hand in hand with knowing God with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our minds. We don't have to put in effort um, and to fix ourselves and to be good because when we just love God and you know him, things will change. It will come naturally. God will just change your heart when you're just in his presence. Now, I know this is all a lot, um, so I kind of, I want to help you take steps in, in, in applying it in your life. Um, I know if I give you a lot of things to apply and just principles and stuff, it just gets overwhelming and we don't know where to start or where to, yeah, pick it back up, um, and we just not end up doing it. 
So I want to help you apply it with just one step. And I'm not saying this is the beginning of everything, but it's just one thing. And it's not the end, the all be all, too. Now, to know and to love someone, we need to spend time with them. Right? And the, the one application that I want to talk about is to know and love God, we need to spend time with God. The one spiritual discipline, um, which is a discipline that's spiritual, (laughs) one spiritual (laughs) discipline that has been helpful to me, um, has been solitude. Now, to explain solitude, solitude is choosing to do nothing, nothing, while in the presence of God. Solitude doesn't stem from being too busy or you need to, that you are too busy so you need alone time with God. It doesn't stem from being an introvert. It doesn't stem from just feeling so lonely that you've kind of isolated yourself. Solitude and isolation is very different. Solitude is choosing to interrupt the daily rhythms of life to do nothing. It's very, it's a very intentional nothing. So it's not really nothing. Intentional nothing. To interrupt the daily rhythms of life, to do nothing, and you just stay with God. Have you ever done nothing before? I mean, sometimes when we're doing nothing, we don't let ourselves do nothing. We feel so unproductive, and we feel like we're wasting time. So we start to judge um, our feelings, and we judge the experience of nothing, and we deem it bad. And so we don't let ourselves do nothing. And when we don't let ourselves do nothing, we also don't get to see what our hearts are feeling, how our souls are doing, and what our minds are thinking. Now, if we're called to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, you need to know where your heart and where your soul and where your mind is at. Solitude helps you. It, it's, it, it's in the solitude and in, in this place where you really get to see where you're at. And you get to be honest with yourself. And I, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's hard. You will probably, in doing nothing, get feelings of anxiety. You might feel pain. You might feel grief. Things that you may have been pushing aside or ignoring. Or you may feel good things that you need, like peace, joy, love, hope. Overall, in solitude, it's when we come face to face with ourselves while being in the presence of God. And you're not alone in doing it. You're with God. Solitude, you're not in solitude alone, even though solitude means like kind of being alone. You're not alone. You're doing it with someone. You're doing it with Jesus and with God. So there's no need to fear. But it is hard because it's in this place where you get to be honest honest about yourself, where you're at. And in solitude, sometimes, I'm not saying that you're not doing it, but if you're doing it, sometimes in solitude, we get to a prayer time, like, oh, God, I want to be like you. God, I want to do your will. Um, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying that's bad. Oh, gosh, I just made it sound so bad. It's not bad. Um, God loves that. But what he loves more is you. You, not what you can do for him, but you and all of who you are. You know, when I first started um, being very intentional with it, um, which means really putting it in your calendar to set a time to be alone with God, um, it's easier in the mornings. Um, When I first started, I felt so much angst 
And but I don't know. But I got to a place where I was like, yeah, I felt so much anxiety, and I felt like I had to do something. But I came to a place where I told him, and I was honest, and I was like, God, I hate being alone with you. I hate this. And then I cried, and then I cried, and then I cried. Because I felt like I can't say that kind of stuff to him. But God, in that place where I just hated myself for hating being alone with him, I felt so loved, and I felt so much compassion, and I felt so accepted for where I was at. It's because I was honest, and he loves our honesty. I felt so accepted, and I was just me. And he loved me, all of me. He can handle all your crap, you know. <laughs> it, we just need to let him handle it. You know, although I didn't feel good things, um, God just embraced me and loved on me. And I was able to just accept and start to value myself. And then I started to see other people as though were valued and accepted as well. That's what happens. When you're in solitude, it leads you to community because you start to see yourself differently. You start to see others differently. It's natural. It just comes. You just got to get alone with God. That has to be a discipline in our lives. It's not only pastors who do it. <laughs> I, gave a, I, gave one of our con- <laughs> I gave a friend <laughs> um, a book about solitude uh, because, like, I mean, he, he needed it. And he was like, no, only pastors do this. And I was like, no, it's not. (laughs) Everyone is called to be alone with God. Because everyone is called to love, to love God, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So I want to take this time and encourage you to get alone with God right now. That might sound weird. Because solitude, it sounds like you have to be kind of alone. And you have your own secret place, which is true, which is true. But solitude, you can do it in the presence of others as one community. And it's just you being honest with yourself. It's you being present with the present, with who you are, and just doing it in the presence of God. And we could do it together. So at this time, if we can close our eyes, and I want to guide you into this time. And then hopefully you can pick it up when you're by yourself at home if you haven't been doing it or if this is something new to you or if, you have, or if you've done it before but you want to start again um, or just get more information. I don't know. So I want to guide you in this time. So Father, Holy Spirit, we come before you by ourselves, ourselves. Each and every one of us here, we come alone in your presence. So we invite your presence into this place and into specifically this time of solitude. If it helps, it it helps to picture um, Jesus in front of you. Or if you're not a visual, usually um, anything that helps you see presence. Um, 
I've heard that some people light candles in front of them just to show a flame that is there, that's present, and that is ongoing. But we don't have that, so maybe you could picture cheese on this. So, Lord, if we're choosing to be intentional with doing nothing right now, not thinking about what we can do for you, but just thinking, just evaluating where we're at and who we are, what we're feeling, what we're thinking, where our souls are at. And I pray that you would give us the boldness to just stay in this place. If there is grief, if there is pain, that we would stay. Lord, help us in this way to get to know you more. We thank you for being present with us. I know it was short, but I believe God did show up in your solitude time right now. And if he did, I, I, I pray that you hold on to it hold on to it and you see what God thinks about it thinks about you what God is saying about him pray for full affirmation for each and every one of us here full affirmation that when we do stuff that we will know who we are and where we come from, and who you are, so that whatever we do is for your glory. Because when it's for your glory, it's also for us. It's for our best. It's for our better. You love us that way. That's your heart. 